This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Yep, that's me. This is Radio Parallax. And I do note that I'm afraid that nobody around here understands my potato. And I guess I'm just a spud boy looking for a real tomato. And you know what promises to be an eclectic show when we start off with Devo lyrics? Well, I got to thinking about those crazy boys from the 80s when uh, my office manager pointed out some clips from them that were on YouTube, including the notorious Whip It video from, I guess, 1982. I thought it was an amazingly crappy video, although I do like the song. Certainly want to doff my cap to the people here at KDVS who churn out uh, wonderful music programs, you know, pretty much 24-7. With some breaks, of course, for public affairs uh, broadcasting, like like this program and various uh, news shows, etc. But um, I applaud the uh, the DJs here at this, um, this community-based radio station for the fine work they do. And also want to put a good word for people doing similar work up at KZFR in Chico. Well, let us commence today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date in question is the 16th of January. By the way, like last week's program, this program is largely recorded in Northern California, but will be edited in the Caribbean. We'll also serve as a prelude to next week's program, which will be entirely produced somewhere in the Caribbean, which we expect to be broadcast as usual with a little help from our friends. At any rate, January 16th, some days in history are more momentous than others. This date is not necessarily one of those. For example, item number one, January 16th, 1847, a leader in the successful fight to grab California from Mexico, explorer and mapmaker John C. Fremont briefly became governor of the newly won American territory. I only know a couple things about Fremont. First, that he became the first Republican candidate for president in 1856. He lost pretty handily to James Buchanan. Curiously, the Republicans at that time were an anti-slavery party. The next guy that ran as a Republican for president in 1860 was a guy named Abraham Lincoln. He won because the Democrats split the vote, and that led to the Civil War. The other thing about Fremont of note is that uh, a town in the Bay Area is named after him. Back in about 1958, five small towns in the East Bay, Niles, Centerville, Irvington, Mission San Jose, and Warm Springs, decided to amalgamate themselves together to become a bigger town, which they named Fremont. It's also my hometown, and I'm here to tell you, melding together five small towns to make one big town and then developing the hell out of it did not necessarily, let's say, make it a better place. Moving right along, January 16th in 1919, prohibition in the form of the 18th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which prohibited the manufacture, sale, or transportation of intoxicating liquors for beverage purposes, became the law of the land. That, as you're probably aware, didn't work out so well. And oddly enough, although prohibition of cannabis is not working so well today, there are a lot of people that oppose its legalization. But fewer and fewer as the years go by, studies now show, at least the polls now show, that a majority of Americans finally do favor its legalization. It was on this date 
1959 that the forces of Fidel Castro's Cuban revolutionaries formally overtook and supplanted the government of Fulgencia Batista. In two years, Fidel Castro and his brother Raul and Che Guevara and a few others had managed to grow an army of 40 guerrillas into a conquering army. Well, for better or worse, and it wasn't always for better. We'll hopefully talk more about Cuba a little bit later in today's program. And finally, speaking of dictators, it was on January 16th in 1979, faced with an army mutiny and violent demonstrations against his rule, Mohammad Reza Shah Pahlavi, leader of Iran since 1941, was forced to flee the country. Fourteen days later, the Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini, spiritual leader of the Islamic Revolution, returned after 15 years of exile and took control of the country for better or worse, and there was a lot of worse there. Although, we have to admit, the Shah was no picnic. Yeah, in fact, the Shah was pretty much a jerk, even though uh, an awful lot of uh, Iranian-Americans do look back upon uh, his reign with some fondness in the wake of what followed. All right, our quote of the day comes from Albert Einstein, who once said, People are like bicycles. They can keep their balance only as long as they keep moving. Our quip of the day comes from Jay Leno, who once asked, how come aspirins are packed in childproof containers, but bullets just come in a box? And our joke of the day comes from his cohort, Jay Leno's cohort, Jimmy Fallon, I guess his replacement, who said in the wake of the recent uh, frigid weather back east, it's so cold that doctors are telling people to avoid drinking alcohol if they go outside because it can lead to frostbite. Then parents who've been stuck inside with their kids for three days were like, hey, it's worth the risk. Our anecdote of the program comes from the life of Sir Winston Churchill. And I suspect this one is true. Apparently an orator was giving yet another long, dull speech on the floor of the House of Commons when he spied Churchill dozing off. Demanded the speaker, must you fall asleep while I'm speaking? No, Churchill replied with his eyes remaining shut. It's purely voluntary. Our statistic of the day is one we alluded to earlier. It turns out that, according to CNN, 55% of Americans say marijuana should be legal. As recently as 1987, that figure stood at just 16%. Here's the part I find odd. Apparently, 35% of Americans answered that smoking marijuana is morally wrong. Morally wrong? What percentage of people do you imagine think that drinking a beer is morally wrong? Actually, we can't even guess, but I got a couple other stats I think are worth throwing out. Stat number two. By age 23, according to the Huffington Post, 49% of black men in the U.S. have been arrested, which I thought was pretty astonishing. But apparently this study from the journal Crime and Delinquency found that by age 23, 44% of Hispanic males and 38% of white males have been arrested. Really? Anyway, how about this one? According to TheWire.com, the combined net worth of the 300 richest people in the world climbed $524 billion. That's, that's how much it climbed in 2013, according to analysis of the new Bloomberg Billionaires Index. <laughs> and yeah, I know that invites a lot of questions of who's compiling the Bloomberg Billionaires Index. But uh, no matter who they are, let's assume they did it right. And their stats reveal that uh, these 300 people, 
Now have a combined total wealth of $3.7 trillion. This amounts to more than the gross domestic product of every nation in the world, excepting only the United States and China. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week this week for democracy. After a Tennessee man whose pet raccoon, Rebecca, was confiscated by state wildlife authorities, announced he was running for governor so he could get his furry friend back. Said Mark Coon Rippy Brown. I'm just I'm just reading it the way it's written. This is all about the raccoon. Now, whether a guy can get himself elected governor on the basis of a campaign platform that flimsy, we don't know. But uh, maybe Mark Coon Rippy Brown can give Arnold Schwarzenegger a call and find out a little bit more about how he made himself governor with a little help from Daryl Issa and some uh, nefarious Republicans. At any rate, it was a bad week last week for civil liberties with the news that a secretive spy court has renewed the NSA's authority to collect the telephone records of every American for yet another 90 days. This marks the 36th time in the last seven years that the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court reauthorized the bulk snooping of Americans. We thought the jig might be up when last month U.S. District Court Richard Leon ruled that the program was likely unlawful, calling it an overreach into the private sphere. But subsequently, a federal judge in New York disagreed, saying the program did not violate privacy rights and called it a counterpunch to terrorism that, quote, only works because it collects everything, unquote. Anyway, it was an ugly week a few actually a couple months back, for cheating after it was revealed that an Italian long-distance runner was allegedly caught trying to pass a drug test by using a fake penis filled with someone else's urine. Please, people, don't try this at home. Or, for that matter, in the laboratory. Apparently, Divas Luciardi, 27, is suspected of using a $140 prosthesis called the Wizinator. Now, see, we thought the Wizinator was Ted Cruz's nickname. I was tickled a couple days ago to, uh, to go down to my local deli in the neighborhood and have the proprietor tell me that, you know what, I got fed up. I called up both John Boehner and Ted Cruz and asked them about their position on uh, this, this, this chemical spill in West Virginia where people don't have any drinking water. He said he talked to a, a couple of flunkies at, at each uh, member of Congress's office and was basically given the runaround. Apparently Ted Cruz's office, or at least a spokesman for, for Ted Cruz, uh, told him that, well, this is not one of his constituents anyway, so he's not going to sound off on it. To which the Delhi proprietor said, can I quote you on that? <laughs> the guy said, well, who are you? He goes, I'm just an American citizen. But uh, anyway, so are we, and I'm kind of happy to pass that little tidbit along. Let's do a couple follow-up items on things we've talked about before, usually things we like to talk about a lot. How about this letter to the B, written in response to another letter to the B, about a familiar topic, water, especially in this year, the lack of it. Wrote Raymond Weber. Regarding water greed as a threat, letters, January 7th, Steve Miller's letter hit the nail on the head. Governor Jerry Brown's water grab is no different from what Los Angeles did to the Owens Valley. Brown is trying to steal water from Northern California to send it south, touting the greater good and revising his peripheral canal pipe dream. 
The drought situation and low water levels in Folsom Lake should, should wake everyone up as to how fragile our water situation becomes when any is taken away. It's a valid point. If we're having the driest year in California history and there's not very much water up north, how can we ship a surplus south if there's no surplus? We expect to get some uh, interesting updates on this in February from some people who've been studying what's being done with the water that's being sent south. Apparently an awful lot more than we appreciate on this program is being turned over to industry. We'll talk more about that next month. Another item we wish to talk about by way of follow-up is the story of uh, Michael Hastings' death, the investigative reporter whose car hit a palm tree in Southern California at a very high rate of speed, blowing up in the process. Hastings reporting in Rolling Stone apparently uh, brought down General uh, McChrystal, the then leader of the forces there. And there was speculation in the wake of his curious death that uh, perhaps someone tampered with his car. Well, uh, the December 14th issue of New Scientist has some uh, background data relevant to that. Said the magazine, imagine you could disable a car remotely by just pressing a button. It's not a distant dream. Devices that use radio waves to disrupt the control computers of modern cars are already in the pipeline. Police will be able to use them to halt suspect vehicles in their tracks. At the request of police in France, Spain, and Germany, a European Commission-funded consortium is developing such a device. Evidently, engineers in Europe have poured over automotive engine control units, ECUs, to identify vulnerabilities in microchips that can be exploited using radio signals. And indeed, they've had success developing such devices. Apparently, they've mounted transmitters on tops of SUVs with horn-like metal waveguides to beam microwave pulses at cars or motorbikes, and they found that uh, when the vehicle's wiring act as an antenna, these pulses will disable the ECU temporarily by constantly forcing it to reset itself. Well, that may not be quite the same thing as seizing the controls of the car and accelerating it. It certainly proves that remote control of a car's uh, wiring is possible. We talked some weeks back in this program about how exercise is one of the few things that may be everything it's cracked up to be. One curious item worthy of mention, uh, which came out in a meeting in San Diego some months back, was that uh, researchers discovered that an exercise program might help patients that have mild to moderate dementia. It was found that men and women with mild to moderate dementia participated in a small study which involved a novel exercise program focused on movements required to maintain functions of daily living, experienced improvements in cognitive function, physical performance, and caregiver burden compared with those who did not participate. There's also been some headline news lately that vitamin E may have some role in slowing the cognitive loss with dementia. We hope so. But we certainly encourage everyone to exercise, whether you're demented or not. There's much talk of late of computer games uh, and such being used to enhance people's cognitive performance. That's something we're going to look into in 2014. I have to note we were rather tickled by a piece in the Bee by Elaine Korn, food editor at Capital Public Radio and occasional contributor to the Bee, who wrote a piece um, decrying Americans' obsession with skinless, boneless chicken breast meat, which we frankly admit is is not a topic that really got onto our radar, but I think some of the responses it evoked are worth quoting from. Agreeing with Elaine was Nate Simon of Sacramento, who wrote the B to say, 
Regarding boneless, skinless chicken breast rules, but why? Elaine Korn's article said what I have felt for so long, but have never been able to state so eloquently. The apparent preference for cardboard-like breast meat is such a sad commentary on the state of our larger food culture. Taking a different perspective was Jeffrey Callison of Lincoln, who said, It may come as a shock to Elaine Korn that some people actually enjoy eating the breast of chicken. I'm one of them. Not only do I like the taste, texture, and appearance of chicken breast, I also dislike the taste, texture, and appearance of other parts of the bird. So I'm no foodie, but hey, life's too short to eat stuff you don't like. Wrote Dana Richards of Winters. I love Elaine Korn's article on boneless, skinless chicken breasts. By the way, that dream chicken she mentioned with the flat breast and four legs is called rabbit. And finally wrote Paul Nidzelski of Fair Oaks, who felt very strongly about this. Kudos to Elaine Korn for daring to point out what should be obvious to all who eat chicken. Boneless, skinless chicken breasts are so dry and tasteless regardless of how they're fixed. I'm mystified that they should be popular at all. I know the politically correct answer is that they're so much healthier for you, which is now and always has been nonsense. The amount of difference in fat is minuscule. He went on to say, interestingly enough, an article on Wednesday's Bee contained an article that butter is now touted as being better for you than margarine. Wow, the pendulum has swung back. Let's close by talking about that article on butter versus margarine. The piece was a reprint by David Peterson from the Los Angeles Times and noted that for generations, butter got a bad rap. It was thought to be fattening and dangerous for your arteries, and it took a creaming from oil-based substitutes like margarine. Now with the trans fats and those alternatives under fire, everyone from iron chefs to home cooks are re-examining butter's place in the refrigerator shelf. I remember being very puzzled as a college student at UC Davis about this question of whether margarine was any better for you than butter. I took the viewpoint that uh, I doubted that it was. So after doing a little research into uh, hydrogenated vegetable oils and trans fats, etc., and mind you, this is back in the 70s, my roommate and I concluded that there was absolutely no reason to eat margarine, except that it was cheaper. We vowed then to use butter and maybe use a little bit less of it, a policy I have followed to this day. According to the article, this current shift towards natural ingredients and the backlash against trans fat pushed U.S. butter consumption to a 40-year high in 2012. Well, I do want to say, frankly, I'm, I'm glad to see that everybody else has now come around. My understanding is that margarine got its, uh, its big start in World War II when butter was, uh, was uh, uh, hard to get a hold of, and uh, subsequent marketing somehow managed to convince people that it was better, but never really was. We got to take a break, but before we do, I'd like to cite one final study, which is getting some attention lately, that uh, actually it's a series of studies on vitamins, which have some medical experts saying that it's case closed. It's time for most consumers to stop wasting money on vitamins and other supplements because they have no proven benefits and some possible harms. That declaration came out uh, last month in a strongly worded editorial that accompanied two new studies and an expert panel report in the Annals of Internal Medicine. Some quotes from it. The message is simple. Most supplements do not prevent chronic disease or death. Their use is not justified and should be avoided. Editorial writer Eliseo Gaillard of Johns Hopkins said, supplements are not working. We don't need to go on studying them forever. Something else we're going to talk about this year. But let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Let's see if we can talk about some more upbeat subjects, maybe from the science world, in our next segment. There's a tear. 